We've been starting a new series called My Alter Ego. My Alter Ego. And we've been talking about uh, different superheroes, uh, mainly in the Marvel Universe, but we're going to end in the DC Universe. Um, we talked about Captain America. We've talked about Iron Man. And today we're going to talk about Deadpool. And I have a question as we get started in the message. And I want you all to think about this question. Do you ever feel like you're different than everybody else? Do you ever feel like you're different than everybody else? And just kind of give you a background of this uh, My Alter Ego series. The reason that we're going into these superheroes is because everyone carries with them different sets of identities. In fact, it is rather difficult to be the same person to every person or group. These alter egos that we carry fit different areas and needs in life and in the world. With many alternate versions of ourselves, the hero version of ourselves is most extraordinary. With that inner desire for greatness and a desire to make a difference, we make ourselves miniature heroes to feel better about not being the superhero we would like to be. And as we talk about Deadpool today, he's one of the most uh, interesting characters. And he's actually one of the most favorite characters. A little bit background about Deadpool. Deadpool is, uh, who is Wade Wilson, is one of the most interesting and tradition-breaking superheroes. In fact, he's actually labeled as an anti-hero, which means that he lacks conventional hero characteristics. He is a hero who can be easily confused with a villain. I believe that this is what makes him one of the most favorite characters. People like him because he usually does the right thing, but in whatever way he wants. And he's not obligated to do the right thing either. It just depends on how he feels that day and on that specific situation. In other words... People like the idea of not being morally responsible. It seems liberating to most people, and it certainly is portrayed in Deadpool as he, uh, as he portrays a nothing-is-that-serious attitude. And Deadpool, uh, he has some interesting superpowers. Not only was he military trained, so he's you know very uh, high-tech in his skills and his abilities, but... He has this uh, superhero ability to uh, heal and regenerate his health. So he's known for being able to get his hand cut off and regenerate a new hand. And nothing can pretty much, nothing can hurt him or kill him. And I thought that out of all the Bible characters that we could kind of relate Deadpool to, uh, the one that I think uh, is surprisingly relevant to Deadpool is Samson. Samson. And I'm going to just read a scripture about Samson real quick. And it's in the book of Judges, chapter 13, verse 2 through 5. It says, In those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant, and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, even though you've been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, or, nor eat any forbidden fruit. Just real quick, uh, something to point out. Um, our medical doctors have not found out till just a couple hundred years ago that uh, you should not drink alcohol while pregnant. Uh, medical professionals just found are just now even still saying, oh, bacon is not that great to eat when you're pregnant or fish or whatever. And all those food items are what were forbidden in the Jewish culture. And so we're seeing here ancient times, BC days that the Bible is telling us and teaching us that uh, how to, what kind of diet to have while pregnant. So it's something kind of just cool and interesting to look at. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistine judges. 
Let's pray real quick. God, I thank you for today's message and I ask that you cause this message to be meaningful and inspiring, that it deepen our faith and it bring out breakthroughs in each person's life. We thank you and I ask that your Holy Spirit guide our, our thoughts, our conversations and our words. In Jesus' name, amen. And so about Samson, he is, uh, what happens in this story is that Samson is dedicated to God as a Nazarite. A Nazarite means that they're not supposed to cut, uh, cut their hair at all. They're not supposed to consume any wine or uh, alcohol or anything like that. Their like, whole life is supposed to be a dedication to God to where um, they don't even cut their, they, they don't trim their beard, their hair. All, they just are these hairy people that are dedicated to God. And it's obvious in their culture that they're dedicated to, be, uh, to God because of what they represent, because of how they look. I mean, it's a very distinguished characteristics to be that hairy, right? <laughs> and it's also very distinguished to be a person that doesn't drink. I mean, even when I tell people uh, that in church or <laughs> uh, random Christians that I meet, and I say, yeah, I actually don't drink, they're like, what? Really? Uh, it's, this whole person is, is, is abnormal to the culture around them. And going back to Deadpool... Uh, I feel like just like Samson, Deadpool's out of place. He's out of place. He's so individualistic and he just doesn't seem to quite fit in in the hero genre. Even his personhood, the, the way he talks, the way he acts. He's even one of, the, uh, he's one of the only comic book characters that breaks the fourth wall in comics and in movies. To where he engages with the audience. The fourth wall is an entertainment and plays to where you're supposed to be submerged in the, the play or the show. To where you don't, you don't even feel like you're watching a show. They don't talk to you. The fourth wall is the interaction between the actors and the audience. And so Deadpool is a person that engages and talks to the audience. He's just different in almost every way. And because of his individualism, he often pushes people away. I feel like it relates to Samson so much because Samson is totally out of place. Everyone knows he's a Nazarite. He can't go to the parties like everybody else. He can't just have a social drink with everybody else. He's just different and he's out of place. And I want to read you all this verse in Judges chapter 14, verse 1 through 4. And I'm going to read a lot of scripture today because I really want you all to, to hear about this story of Samson. One day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman of Timnah caught my eye. <laughs> it's kind of redundant, right? I want to marry her. Get her for me. His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites you could marry? They asked, why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. <laughs> That's how we all got married, right? <laughs> and it says here that his father and mother didn't realize the Lord was at work in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at that time. So the reason why this was so out of place was because in their culture, Israel was only supposed to marry Israelites. They weren't supposed to, uh, it, was a, it was frowned upon to do interracial marrying. And here Samson is saying, yeah, but she looks good to me. <laughs> I want to marry her. And his parents are saying, can't, isn't there anybody in, in, in our town and that you can marry besides going to these people that are oppressing us? Because the Philistines at the time have dominated Israel. It's like if we were to be invaded by Germany or invaded by North Korea and, and us to fall in love with one of the, the soldiers or want to marry one of the soldiers that are dominating our country. It'd just be kind of weird, abnormal, even in our culture. Well, how, how much more in their, uh, in their culture where it's like ceremonially incorrect for them? And what's interesting is that it says that they didn't realize that this was God's work in their life. This was God putting that desire in Samson's heart. And what I find interesting is, especially in church, 
especially in our world, we like to have ideas of what we think God would and wouldn't do. It's, we, if you've ever heard the term before, well, God wouldn't do that. Well, God wouldn't do it that way. People say that a lot. And what I've found is usually when people say that, it hurts other people. We have this idea that God wants it done this way and this is the only way you can do it. And here, this is one of those situations where Samson is is doing something that's completely out of place, completely out of the norm. And everyone is looking at him saying, God wouldn't tell you to do that. God wouldn't have you do it that way. You're doing it all wrong. And yet the Bible tells us, no, God put that desire on inside of his heart because he's going to use something weird to bring about something great. And I don't want anyone here to be confused. Don't think that you can always trust your heart because there are plenty of times where your heart is deceitful. But what I do want to get across is that sometimes God will tell you to do the right thing in a very different way that's unconventional, that's different. Can I share a quick story? Someone say yes. yes, yes. <laughs> uh, a while back, I, I saw this. Um, there's this, this couple that ministers to homeless people that, that are on my friends list. And one day they, they sent out this mass message. If you ever get any of those where they tag everybody in their friends list and said, hey, we've been ministering to homeless people for several years now. Um, we've been traveling a lot. We've sold our home. But now we're, we're pretty much looking to buy an RV or a camper so that we can uh, pretty much continue going, be more comfortable as we're going out, et cetera, et cetera. And so if, if even just half of our friends donate $5, then we'll have enough to buy the camper, something like that. And for, right away, if you've ever gotten a message like that, you're, most people's initial response is like, no, just... No, I'm not going to do that. I, and you even think about the situation like, wow, that's really weird to become homeless, to minister to homeless people. That's very, uh, sounds off. It sounds like confusing. It sounds like something. Why would God tell you to do that? And, and usually it's enough to just kind of ignore that, right? And just not donate. That would be enough, right? Well, there's this guy that, uh, I think he was a pastor or something, and he commented on their post. He didn't send them a private message. He commented on the post that's tagged with all the other people they're asking for donations for. And he goes on to say this long message, starting out with, I want to encourage you by giving you something more valuable than money, and that's my advice. Let me just stop right there real quick. If you've ever thought that your advice was that valuable, you might be <laughs> overselling yourself. <laughs> I hate to break it to some of us, but our advice might not be that valuable to where it's monetarily sufficient. <laughs> and he went on to pretty much say that God would never tell you to put your family's comfortability at risk in order to do ministry. In fact, you might even be in God's rebellion because your family should be your very first ministry. And if, if you don't have the provisions you need for this vision that you have, then maybe it was never God's vision. It's this huge, long message. I, there's no way I can memorize it because it's, I'd rather just read the Bible. But I remember just being kind of irritated at that because I thought, what was the point of this message just to discourage other people from giving just to discourage this person from continuing to do what they believe that they ought to be doing and this person has in their mind that you can only do this one way you can only do this god thing you can only do ministry one way and if you don't do it this way then you're wrong you're doing it the wrong way and i gotta just say i don't agree with that I don't agree with a lot of the conventional, traditional church things that are taught in our churches. Even that simple idea, it sounds so right. God would never tell you to put your family at risk in order to do ministry. That sounds right. Saying that 
Your family is your very first ministry. And if you neglect it, then you're in God's rebellion because family is always first. That sounds right. Yet when you look in the Bible, it doesn't teach that at all. There is a time uh, with the prophet Elisha where God told him to go to a, when there was a famine in the land, he told Elisha to go to this widow that had one son and ask them for food. When he showed up, the widow was gathering food there, and she said, this is our last meal. Me and my son are going to eat and then we're going to die. So they're on the bare minimum. You wouldn't want to, you know, pass the offering basket around there. And uh, Elisha says, yeah, I know that. Go ahead and feed me first. And then you can worry about your family. Don't worry. God will protect you. God will help you. And so think about that situation for a second. Me as a pastor, as a, as a man of God, as a person that believes, I have faith. But I would find it very difficult for me to believe this dude. I, I don't think I would even be able to have the faith to, to really believe him. I think, why would God tell me to give what I have as my last meal to my son, to my family, to give to you? That seems completely wrong. And yet that's what God told her to do. And when she did do it, when she made this really dumb decision... A really foolish thing that if it was done today, everyone would tell her how stupid she was. Think about that. But when she did that in faith, it said that God supplied miraculously all the oil and, and all, the, all that they needed to survive past what the sacrifice she was willing to give. Another example would be when God told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. I mean, does that not show that God does things kind of different than the way that we would do things? In the end, Abraham was willing to do the sacrifice, but God stopped him and provided the sacrifice instead, not only with a, a ram that day to sacrifice, but he sent his son, his only son, Jesus, to die for us instead of Abraham's son. The point that I'm making is that what this guy was saying was wrong. <laughs> it wasn't biblically accurate. There's more than just one conventional way to do things, to do the right thing. You can do the right thing in many different ways. And just like Deadpool, if you've ever seen any of the movies, there's times where you think like, well, this makes a lot more sense. Why doesn't he just kill the guy rather than just lock him up in prison? The guys that get locked up in prison are always getting out in the superhero movies. And they just come back as like a superhero villain again and run amok. And it's like, man, if they would have just killed the Joker or if they would have just killed uh, this bad guy, they, would stop, they wouldn't really have a job anymore. They would be able to kind of sit back and relax. It makes sense what Deadpool's doing, right? It just kills them. See, there's times where you might have a, a right thing that might be a different way than mo most people agree with. And there's no way that I could tell you if it's right or wrong. What I could tell you is, is you got to make it, you got to find biblical examples that you can make sure that it's something that God might have done before. See if it aligns in the Bible. God would never tell you to, to you know, commit sin in order to do something right. You never have to lie for Jesus. <laughs> but the point I'm making is that sometimes the, the vision and the beliefs, uh, the vision and purpose that you have is out of place in our society. It's different than all your family has done. It's different than all your friends are doing. It's out of place. And you might be the one individual that's going against the grain. The, in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 through 9, it says, His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and His ways are higher than our ways. That just because you wouldn't think of doing it that way doesn't mean God wouldn't tell you to do it that way. And the same goes for other people. And I would go as far to say this. In the book of James, it says, To know that you ought to do something and not do it is sin. That's really hardcore. 
And it makes me think about how controlling our church leadership is nowadays. I'm talking about our, our country's church culture. Our leadership in churches is so controlling. You can only do it this way. You can only ask me for permission. I'll enable you to do God's work. I won't empower you to do it. And there's so many times where I know people that had these true desires, true things that they believe they ought to do. And church leadership said, no, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like the right way. And they became a stumbling block for something that possibly God told them to do, but now they feel so confused about doing it that they end up not doing it, which is sin. Y'all follow me? You know, that's a very sobering thing because it means that you are responsible for yourself. That even in leadership and churches and in your families, at the end of the day, you are responsible to make your own decisions. And you have to, if you really believe you ought to do something, it's up to you to do it. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so let me, let me read this long 11 verses real fast to finish up this feeling of being out of place. Anyone here ever feel out of place? Yeah. One of the most out of places, uh, out of place moments I felt was when I started going to church. Judges chapter 15, verse 1 through 11. It says, Later on during the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat as a present to his wife. He said, I'm going into my wife's room to sleep with her. But her father wouldn't let him in. I truly thought you must hate her, her father explained. So I gave her in marriage to your best man. That's crazy. (laughs) But look, her younger sister is even more beautiful than she is. So shallow. Marry her instead. Samson said, This time I cannot be blamed for everything I'm going to do to you Philistines. That's crazy that he's like such a boss like that, right? Sounds like something Deadpool would say. Oh, I can't be blamed for this. You brought this on yourself. Then he went out and caught 300 foxes. He tied their tails together in pairs and he fastened a torch to each pair of tails. Then he lit the torches and let the foxes run through the grain fields of the Philistines. He burned all their grain to the ground, including the sheaves and the uncut grain. He also destroyed their vineyards and olive groves. Who did this? The Philistines demanded. Samson was the reply, just like a superhero. Who did this? Daredevil. It was Samson. And because his father-in-law from Timnah gave Samson's wife to be married to his best man. So the Philistines went and got the woman and her father and burned them to death. Very reactionary culture. Because you did this, Samson vowed, I won't rest until I take my revenge on you. So he attacked the Philistines with great fury and killed many of them. Then he went to live in a cave in the rock of Edom. The Philistines retaliated by setting up camp in Judah and spreading out near the town of Leah. The men of Judah asked the Philistines, why are you attacking us? The Philistines replied, we've come to capture Samson. We've come to pay him back for what he did to us. So 3,000 men of Judah went down to get Samson in the cave in the rock of Edom. They said to Samson, don't you realize The Philistines rule over us. What are you doing to us? But Samson replied, I only did to them what they did to me. That's an understatement. (laughs) So think about these verses that we just read about. In this book, in case it's not clear, Samson is given these like super, the super strength power. It. And it's represented in his Nazarite vows. And he's going and doing some crazy stuff. He he like kills thousands of people. It says that he went into a fury. And what's interesting about this is being out of place is that this is an example of Samson's individualism and how it ends up hurting people around him because he simply wanted to do things his way. See, sometimes, sometimes we do the thing that we just, like, I just got to do this. There's times where it is good. 
And it is just a different way that is for a great result. But there's other times where we are so individualistic that it's not really about feeling like, man, this is just really what I feel like I need to do. It's more like my way or the highway mentality. I'm going to just do this because I want to, because I can, and no one's going to stop me. And Samson does all this on his own, and the people of Judah have to deal with the consequences. The Philistines start uh, breaking down their towns, start attacking them, start hurting them, and it's all because of something Samson did in his own individual self. See, as people, we don't get the luxury of not having consequences for our actions. And most of the time, especially those of us who are individualistic, we think, well, I'll just deal with those consequences myself. We often do not get that privilege of being the only one that has, is affected by our, our decisions. Our decisions affect everybody around us. Think about it. Think about even just if you're late somewhere. You think in your mind, well, I'm just going to have to be late. I'm going to just have to deal with it. But even if you're just late to work, you make everybody else wait on you. Everyone else has to suffer the simple consequence of you sleeping in. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Everybody else is affected. That's just a simple example with people that are not even in your family. Now think about how deep that really goes. Every decision you make, it affects those around you. And Samson is just like Deadpool. Because he doesn't really care what happens. He just does whatever he wants. And it's just because I wanted to. Samson's response, because I wanted to. That's why I did it. He said, don't you see how much this is hurting? This is affecting us? Why would you do this? He said, well, because I wanted to. It's like a teenager response. And this leads us to another aspect about Deadpool. Another aspect about Samson is that they find loopholes. Y'all know what a loophole is? It's a way that's, it's really wrong, but it, it's not like legally wrong. It's like a loophole. You have a set rigid instructions, but you found a way around it. And Deadpool often tries to find loopholes as he's an anti-hero. Well, I'm doing the right thing, aren't I? Shouldn't I do the right thing? Does it matter how I do it? I'm doing the right thing. Samson is like that too. Determined and even stubborn to do things their own way, which is usually unconventional. The good side of that is like what we talked about. God uses more than one way to do something great and often goes against our ways of thinking and what we're used to. But the bad side of that is the times where it's not really God telling us to do it. Because sometimes doing the right thing the wrong way makes it the wrong thing. Trying to be godly in ungodly ways doesn't work. That would be like me saying, man, I really believe that God has a heart for people. In fact, I feel even more inclined to win people who are in darkness. They need the light. They need someone to show them. And man, I just feel like one of the darkest places is, is probably a strip club. And who else is going to go but me? I need to go out there. And so I have, I'm going to dedicate my life to ministering to strippers. And my wife will understand because it's for God. I'm going to just have to go there every Friday night. And they may not... They may not receive the gospel right away, so i got to work my way in there and show them that I love them. Show them that I care, that I'm different from all the other guys that are there. It's just, I mean, it's the right thing, right? Doesn't God want them to be saved? And so, I'm going to be that guy. So that's an example of me doing something that would be ungodly. It would be ungodly for me to, to do that and trying to justify it with a godly result. Oftentimes, we do stuff like that. 
We, we cover up our intentions. Our intentions are often to self-gratify. To really get what I want out of it. I want to please myself. This might be a promotion for me. And we cover up those selfish intentions with, well, this is the right thing to do. It's only right. Yeah, I, I, I believe that this is, a, this is best for everyone. But the, real, the only reason you did it was for you. It's, that's why, you know, the funniest way of charity that, uh, that I think is out there is the charity that, that gets you a product in return. Like Starbucks is like, buy this coffee mug and we'll donate $1 to Ethiopia. And it's like, that sounds great. Like, <laughs> that's a great charitable cause because I, I get to just get something that I already wanted, but now I'll be able to act like I'm generous. They're, they're hilarious to me. We often cover up self-gratifying desires with righteous results. And looking for loopholes is really, uh, is all that really does. Just trying to get what you want, but labeling it as something that's, that's okay. This is all right to do, even though it's the wrong thing. Y'all dig what I'm saying? In Judges chapter 15, verse 13 through 15, it says, We will only tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines, they replied. We're continuing the story. We won't kill you. So they tied him up with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. As, as Samson arrived at Lehi, the Philistines came shouting in triumph. But the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson and he snapped the ropes on his arms. Just flexed and they just popped right off. If they were, as if they were burnt strands of flax and they fell from his wrist. Then he found the jawbone of a recently killed donkey. He picked it up and killed a thousand Philistines with it. This is crazy. This is like a crazy situation. And I just feel, I almost feel bad for the Philistines. Every time they think they're going to be like, they're like, yes, finally, Samson does something crazy like this. Samson is always testing his moral limits. He's constantly going against what his culture, uh, what his is ceremonially right for him to do. And in those times, you would become ceremonially unclean if you touched a dead animal. It, it, was, it was incorrect. It was wrong for you to do, not only in their culture, but ceremonially, like in their worship, to touch a dead animal. It's, and here, Samson justifies it and makes it right in his eyes by, by looking at the intended result, by defeating Israel's enemy. Well, that's the only reason I did it, was to do what you really wanted, God. And he's constantly just pushing the envelope, constantly trying to see how far he can go and doing what is right in the wrong way. Sometimes we... Like I was saying, sometimes we attach our personal motive to a greater cause in order to hide our selfishness. Another moment was before all this happened in chapter 14. It says, as Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah to marry his first wife, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. At that moment, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. It's funny because it's like lions and bears, like bare hands. Um, he did it as easily as if it were a young goat. But he didn't tell his father or mother about it. When Samson arrived in Timnah, he talked with the woman and he was ple- that he was pleased with. Later, when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path to look for, at the carcass of the lion. And he found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. He scooped some of the honey into his hands and ate it along the way. He also gave some to his father and mother and they ate it. But he didn't tell them he had taken the honey from a carcass of a lion. You know why he didn't tell them? Because that was gross. Think about that. If you were to see a dead dog on the side of the road and this weird illustration is happening. The dead dog flies and bees. And there's 
but there's a honeycomb inside this dead dog. Would you reach in and get that honey and eat it? No, because why? It's disgusting. It might even be uh, harmful to your body. (laughs) And I mean, it's just like you wouldn't even want to shake somebody's hand that did that. And here, not only does he do that, but he gives some to his, his parents as well. I mean, wouldn't you be irritated if, some, if you found out something that you got a piece of food that fell on the floor, but they didn't tell you about it? See, Samson is, he, just like I said before, it was unclean for him to touch a dead animal. And now he, here he's eating out of this dead animal. But this is a really weird illustration that's portrayed in front of Samson. And I, I like to believe that this was God trying to speak to him. How many of you guys are visual learners? You got to just see it. My wife is a visual learner. She can remember an illustration really well. And it makes more sense if she could just see it like picture book style. And perhaps God was trying to show Samson that he should, uh, that he should always use wisdom with his strength. Strength. That his strength would be just as dead as that lion if he didn't use wisdom with it. Maybe God was trying to give him an image, an illustration, because Samson is, it shows that Samson has been ignoring some of the rules, some of the things that are righteous. He's been going against the grain, doing things his own way. Maybe God was trying to show him, say, maybe he'll get it like this. And the reason I think that this was God trying to show him something and that God was trying to bring an illustration about wisdom because in the Bible, honey is always and often uh, illustrated to be an example of wisdom, to be an analogy of wisdom, honey. And the reason I think that it was God trying to show this illustration was because Samson captured this idea, instead, but he captured it in the wrong way. Right after this part of the story, he, when he goes to the wedding, he makes up this riddle in order to get rich. He has this whole elaborate scheme to trick everybody that went to his wedding so that he could profit. It was a very clever thing he did. And it's right after he was shown this illustration of honey inside of a line, wisdom inside of strength. But Samson, again, is finding loopholes, even when God is trying to show him like, no, you're going on the wrong way. You're doing it the wrong way. And he's like, no, I can do it this way. And we're about to wrap things up. But I want you to just ask yourself about your own faith for a second. Look at your own relationship with God. And do you feel like you're a person who is constantly trying to find loopholes with God? You're trying, you, you're trying to make something that you just really want to do, but you're trying to make it like it's, it's okay with God. I mean, the, the reason I think that this is so interesting, that that Samson is such an interesting character and that he relates to Deadpool so well is because there's so many of us that we want to have that relationship with God. We want to do the right thing. We believe in our heart, but we try to find loopholes around it. We try to, we try to be a Christian without acting like a Christian. And it's almost like a marriage. I mean, a marriage is something so special. It's an important covenant. And when you try to find loopholes in a marriage, it makes the marriage stink. It, it makes it foul. Now, I'll use myself as an example. If I'm, I'm married to my wife, it's a fact. I'm married to her if I represent her with my wedding ring or if I don't represent her with my wedding ring. I could take my wedding ring off while I'm around other people and it could be a loophole. I'm still married to you, baby. It's just my finger gets, I don't like how it feels on my finger. I forgot to put it back on, whatever. But I can make that a little loophole so that other people won't know 100% that I'm married. I won't represent our marriage so simply by our wedding ring, but I'm still married. It'd be another thing if I start Texting some other girl. I say, hey, I'm not cheating on you. We're just friends. We're just talking. 
She's just telling me about her feelings and stuff. No. What? It, I could, it could be a loophole, yeah. I, I could justify it. Say, I'm not doing anything wrong. But it leaves so much potential for it to be wrong. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And oftentimes, it, <laughs> my wife in the back, yeah. Oftentimes in our Christianity, we do that. Well, I'm going to go, but I'm not going to do anything myself. I just want to go so I could be a positive influence. But we know we're not strong enough to resist the things that we're trying to quit. We try to find loopholes to just do things that we want to do, but make it okay. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And the most interesting thing about Deadpool and Samson is that they both, they have a collar. A collar. And I'm not telling any of y'all to watch the movies, Deadpool. They're rated R. They're not Christian movies. They're not, they're not pure flicks approved. But in, the, in Deadpool 2, one could read in an entertainment magazine that in this movie, Deadpool's number one power is that he regenerates his health. And without this superpower... He actually has cancer. He's dying. And in, in the second movie, an interesting thing happens. There's this, there's this piece of technology that was created. It's a collar that's able to be put on somebody's neck. And it takes away their superpower abilities, their mutant abilities. And they, became, they become ordinary just like everybody else. And for Deadpool... He's even less than ordinary because he's, he's very, very ill. He's very sick. So he can barely walk. And it's interesting because Deadpool usually brushes off things with a I don't really care attitude. I don't care about that. But he's captured by one thing that takes away all of his strength. And the same thing goes for Samson. In Judges chapter 16, it says, Some time later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah, who lived in the valley of Sorek. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, Entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. And just real quick, in this part of the story, what you got to realize is as a Christian, as a believer, as a person in this world, that there's a real enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. Ignoring this real fact that, that the devil is real, that the devil exists. And I'm not one to give the devil credit for bad stuff. I don't like having a, uh, if I have a flat tire, I don't like to blame it on the devil. I don't like to get a bad haircut and say, this is the devil attacking me. But the truth is, there's a real devil that really does hate God's people and wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And ignoring this very real truth only puts you in more naive state of mind. We, would, we should be on guard because pain is often disguised with pleasure. Delilah is pain disguised as pleasure to Samson. And he's so naive to think, well, no one can really hurt me. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed. For I, have dedicated, I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become weak as anyone else. Just told her his kryptonite. What's so, I think what's a hidden message in this small part of scripture is that it seems, like, it seems like a moment of honesty for Samson, but what it really looks like is a moment of insecurity. He, he put all of his value within himself into his strength. And he feels like nothing without his strength. And he sees himself as less important, as less important without his abilities. So many times we do that. We say, man, without this job... Without my career, without my family, I'm nothing. We devalue ourselves based off of what we have or what our abilities are. If you've ever been broke or poor at any given moment, 
You definitely feel undervalued at that point. You feel less than everybody else. If you've ever been in a room where everybody else has a, a college degree and you're the only one that has a, a diploma from high school or even just a GED, it makes you feel less value, less valuable to the, all the other people in the room. That's the way Samson is relating to us. It says that Delilah lured Samson to sleep with his head in her lap. And when she called in a man to shave the seven locks of his hair, in this way she began to bring him down. And his strength left him. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as, bef- as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza, where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. This is a very sad moment for, for superheroes. See, what, what's interesting is that oftentimes, as Christians, we don't feel a difference when we're in and out of God's presence. We, don't, we think, well, I would know if I was doing something wrong. I would know if I was really, really, really wrong. And it's, here it shows that Samson had no idea that God's presence left him. And if, if you continue to... Uh, push against morality, if you continue to try to find loopholes, there's going to be a moment where you don't even realize that, that he's gone. You're not even going to realize that you're out of his presence. And Samson's strength wasn't from his hair. It was from God. God gave him this, super, this supernatural strength. But his hair was the representation of, of who he was in God as a Nazarite. So you can lose God's power by the way you choose to represent him. It shows us that you can lose God's power and his presence by the way you choose to represent him. God will always be with us, right? We're told that God is always there. He's always watching over us. Yes. But we can lose his power by the way we represent him in this world. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And see, the collar that you wear, the Deadpool collar that you wear, it blinds you a vision from your life. It says that they gouged out his eyes. He lost all vision for his life. Everything he thought he was, everything he thought he would do, he's, he's now blinded from it. And you'd be, whenever you allow that collar to be clipped on, It blinds you of the vision of your life. It blinds you of where you've come from and where you're going. And it tricks you into believing that you're less than ordinary. It tricks you to believe that you're less than ordinary. And it tricks you to believe that you've you've never achieved anything greater in your life. And that you never will. See, I think about this collar. I think about what what is your collar? What is it that for you that makes you feel like all your strength leaves you? Maybe it's a family member when you see them. Maybe it's a memory from your childhood. Maybe it's one comment that someone could say. You could have a great day at work, but it takes one person to ruin your day. You could have everybody tell you you did a great job, but one person tells you that they didn't think so, and you, you're, you're blind to all the other people that said you did amazing. What is that one thing that seems like it's just a collar that clips on that makes you feel like everything you try to work for is gone, is lost? It's talking specifically about your, your faith and your Christianity, your belief system. What is it that you do or what is it that somebody else does to you that makes you feel like you're not even a Christian anymore? Anyone ever thought for a moment... You had a bad day and you think, man, I don't even know if I'm saved anymore. I don't even know if I'm a Christian. And you doubt God's love for you because of something that happened. Because something you did. 
It's like when we make a mistake, we doubt everything we believed about God. The day before, you could, look, you could literally look back at your, at your Christian walk and think, man, I've come so far. I'm so much farther than when I started. And you have one mistake, of that mistake day. Everyone has that cheat day, right? Yeah, that one mistake day. And when that happens, it feels like everything you've done is gone. You lost everything. You're not as strong as you thought you were. You felt like a winner the day before, but now you feel like a loser. What is it for you? Whatever that collar is, I want you to know that you don't have to put that collar on. Even if you do make a mistake, you don't have to wear that collar of guilt. You don't have to wear that collar of shame. And the last, right after this verse, this is a verse that is really meaningful to me. It says in chapter 16 of Judges, verse 22, but before long, his hair began to grow back. But before long, his hair began to grow back. I think the message about Samson is, is that we can always get back up. We can always get back up. We can always take the collar off, the collar of fear. It shows us that we don't have to be slaves to that fear any, any longer. And I want everybody here to close your eyes and bow your heads. If you're here today and you're ready to make a decision where you take that, those, that collar off, you're ready to move forward in your relationship in Christ. Maybe you're ready to step back into God's presence. The Bible says in the book of Romans that all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and surely you shall be saved. Saved from eternal, uh, eternal hell. Saved from your fears. Saved from your past. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. With every eye closed and head bowed. If you're ready to make a decision. So if you rose your hand, or if you wanted to, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I put my trust in you. You are the Son of God. You died for me on the cross. And I trust you. Take the collars of fear off of my life. Be the Lord of my life and the Savior to my soul. Forgive me of my past. Wash me in your blood. I know that you rose from the dead. In Jesus' name.